Trip, you and I love talking about baseball, but as much as we love talking about baseball, we love watching it in person even more. And I have good news. We're now partnering with our friends over at SeatGeek to bring listeners $20 off tickets for whatever game they want to see. Yes, $20 off. And all you need to do is head over to SeatGeek, find the game you want to see. Maybe you want to go to the home opener for the National League champion Phillies. I don't blame you. I wish I could be there. And you're going to enter the promo code Backside Ground Ball and get 20 bucks off. Maybe you're just looking to travel to a stadium you haven't ever been to this summer. See some big league action. Last summer, I got to see Sandy Alcantara. It was very exciting. I've been a big fan. I had never seen him throw. And this summer, I can go see him again. You could go see him. All you have to do is go to SeatGeek, enter the promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL, and you'll get $20 off your first ticket buy. SeatGeek, promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL. Do it this summer. Go check some games out. Powered by Riverside. Joey Gallo is back. I mean, we said it yesterday. Did we not? Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. But three home runs in his last three at-bats with a double off the wall. I'm not going to lie. I watched the first game and, and saw him not necessarily struggle, but, you know, swing through some pitches. And I was like, ah, are we are we overhyping the fact that maybe a change of scenery doesn't matter? Maybe the guy's just lost and then – he just gets white hot, and now he's swinging the stick really well. I'm telling you. That's all I'm going to say. He's Bellinger with his first one in the Cub uniform, too. Yeah, Boog Shabby needs to not say belly bomb, by the way. <laughs> belly bomb. I don't know what it is, but like I hear it as B-E-L-L-Y, and it makes it sound like he's a toddler. Like Boog Shabby's talking to his like, nephew. Or something. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So we're going to conclude, as the title says, we're going to conclude the season previews here. Uh, so uh, we're going to, quite frankly, get right into it. We're recording on a Monday night. This is probably going to come out on Wednesday. So some of our recent takes might be a little outdated. You might hear Dan talking about the Phillies Yanks playing right now because he's watching it live. So definitely going to have some stuff going on and and. So, but just kind of wanted to give a heads up that it is coming out on Wednesday morning, not tomorrow. So if some things don't sound completely 100% um, up to date, uh, that would be why. But let's start with the New York Yankees, Dan. So um, obviously the big money team, man, I mean, it's the age old story. What are we going to get out of the Yankees? Um, Are their stars going to perform? Can Aaron Judge repeat? What what are your initial thoughts right now? Obviously, they've had some uh, injury luck to to start the season, but um, I mean, it's kind of the same old Yankees. Yeah, I think that's the big biggest thing is it's the same team that we've seen. It feels like since Judge came up, almost. Um, you know, they have a couple different faces in there. Um, you know, Rizzo obviously couple years now and and um yeah they got to stay healthy they're an aging roster they're not necessarily young obviously Volpe's gonna be their everyday shortstop see if he can live up to the hype 
I know you and I have talked about it. It's a little bit dangerous to, uh, you know, it's just tough to be a, a top prospect in uh, a city where you're put on a team on opening day that expects to win the World Series. There's all this hype around you. Can you kind of, you know, calm everything down and block out the outside noise? Luckily, he's not, you know, penciled into the leadoff spot or the three hole, you know. So he's got some protection from that standpoint. For me, with the Yankees, it necessarily hasn't quite been their lineup. I know in the in the playoffs they disappear a little bit, but like this is going to be a ninety plus win team that's in the playoffs. It's just what can they do, and it comes down to pitching. You know, I don't love that uh, Radon's hurt to start the year. I'm sure Yankees fans don't either, and I don't blame them because like you want to see that guy for all year because you need him, right? You need him and Garrett Cole to be the one two punch to compete in a series with the Astros um, to get out of the, the ALDS. You need those guys to be able to go out there and, and um, you know pitch you to an ALCS. So, you know, that's really to me what it's going to come down to. Can they stay healthy? You know, we could get into if Donaldson has a bounce back year, they can X, Y. I think they're a 90 plus win team. If Stanton stays healthy and judge stays healthy, like they probably win 90 games. Um, You know, Nestor Cortez is a good, he's a good pitcher. I mean, like the biggest thing for them is can they stay healthy? Can Radon, you know, pitch like we saw last year in San Francisco where he, you know, was a strikeout machine. If he does that, then it's, it, it, you know, kind of all shifts to October, you know, enjoy the ride of the regular season. But once you get there, like that's what this team's built for. This is what this team, you know, is expected to do. I think when you talk about their rotation, that's why I was probably the most excited I've been for a Yankees team coming into the year. I mean, you just look at the the plethora of arms that they have. I think Garrett Cole's going to be better this year than he was last year. I think if he can eliminate that one walk bloop middle cut heater that he seems to throw a game, if he can just cut those quite frankly in half and do it like once every other game, you're probably talking about the Cy Young winner. And then you have Luis Severino, who's when healthy has been really good for the wealth of his career. You have uh, Clark Schmidt, who added the cutter, Nestor Cortez, who's looked really good the last two years. Then you have Frankie Montas, who obviously we're both very high on. And if he's penciled in as your five and your big money addition in Carlos Rodon, who has shown the capabilities of being an ace, I mean, that's six guys who can win you a playoff game against, quite frankly, the only team that matters, the Houston Astros. All six of those guys can go toe-to-toe, maybe not as much of Clark Schmidt as the other five. We have to see a little bit more from Clark Schmidt, but the, the early returns on the cutter look good. But those are guys that or quite frankly, have the stuff and the caliber to win any playoff game against any team. And and that's what excites you a little bit. There's nobody that should be laying eggs in that rotation. Obviously, they have in the past. But, you know, if they can get at least some form of production from all six of those guys and go into the playoffs healthy, like you said, with Judge and Stanton specifically healthy, but Obviously, whatever you get out of Rizzo is great. I think even if he hits 220 with 30 homers, that's a ton of value. Glaber Torres, he's already has two home runs on the year, two stolen bases, if he can bring that element. You know, what excites me the most about Volpe is his willingness to run. I worry because I look at him and he looks like a child. Like he literally looks like me or you in a baseball uniform, which is fine because he's young. But we look at these guys that are 
elite of the elite, like a lot of people are expecting Volpe to be. It's like Julio Rodriguez is physical. Like name any other rookie that's kind of come up there. They're more physically mature. Volpe still looks like he has some growth. And I know he's hit for power in the minor leagues. So maybe I'm just reading too much into it, but you know, I just see him in that uniform and it just looks loose on him. And it's just like, what? Like he doesn't look like he should be outside of high A. And, you know, maybe that's just me reading too much into it. But if you can't impact the baseball, it's tough to, it's tough to perform consistently. Cause if you can't hit your way on the base, teams are just going to attack you and you're going to be exposed. Franchi Cordero is also an interesting, like high ceiling piece that they added to, um, you know, he can bring a different element than quite Aaron Hicks can, in my opinion, French Cordero, Franchi Cordero has elite speed and elite power. So, you know, at least he's that high ceiling guy when you, you might have some other high floor guys like Connor Falefa and Oswaldo Cabrera. Yeah, I think Hicks is the odd man out with Cordero there now. Once Vader gets back, right, it'll be kind yeah. of Oswald Cabrera and, and Franchi Cordero to kind of take those at-bats from Hicks, which three games in, Aaron Hicks is already voicing his displeasure, which like just so Yankees to have Just happen. get rid like, of him. Like at that point. Like, like Aaron like, Hicks, like that's one of those things where it's like Aaron Hicks, like, you of all people, like you've had a million chances there. You've had some good moments. You haven't stayed healthy. You haven't been consistent, like – why are you voicing your display? Like, I'm so, like, as soon as Bader gets back, I, I can't imagine he'll be around long. But, yeah, you know, the Garrett Cole thing, he goes out and he punches out 11 on opening day. Um, I think he's gotten rid of the cutter or he didn't throw any on opening day. Either he got rid of it or he's not throwing – he didn't throw any on opening day. It was cold up there. So, you know, his fastball didn't – you know, his vertical break on his fastball was down. His slider movement was down. But, like, I think through one start, you just contribute that to – to the weather um, so far. And I just think that Garrett Cole's going to, you know what you're going to get out of him. And like you said, if he can avoid those, those bloop walk blasts that he runs into every once in a while, which always makes you scratch your head. I remember he had the start against um, the Mariners in Yankee stadium last year after the trade deadline. I think it was Luis Castillo's first start with the Mariners, if I'm not wrong. And it was just like, he gave up like three home runs in four innings. And it was just like, they were all sent. Like, like you said, it's always like, it's a center cut fastball. It just comes out of nowhere. It's like, yeah, he, I, we've talked about it before. It's almost like he loses focus, but you know, yeah, this team, I, you know, the lineup is, is really good. And um, to your point with Volpe and there are monsters in that lineup, which makes him look a little bit smaller. Like he's listed at five, it, like, nine, one eighty, which is small. It's small, and especially like, when, and, and like, it's even smaller when you have DJ LeMahieu, Aaron Judge, yeah. John Carlos Stanton, Anthony Rizzo walking to the plate before yeah. you. Like that mm-hmm. makes you look even smaller. Glaber Torres Definitely. isn't a small human being either. He's on the shorter side. Yeah, he's, he's I was surprised up. by how much bigger he is than the <laughs> He's Volpe. bricked up. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's, so. he's stacked. So, I mean, um, but yeah, no, to your point, like you have to hit to get on or, or like, because right now, the way you look at their lineup, like I'm attacking Anthony Volpe. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I'm there's one guy that like, can hit for power. Right. Like, dude, there's Trevino, there's whoever's playing in the corner outfield, the open corner outfield spot, and there's Volpe. Those are the three spots you go after in their lineup, um, which should mean he's going to get pitches to hit. So, like, you'll, you'll, we'll, we should know what his bat looks like um, as we get later into the summer. But we got a long way to go. And again, to me, it's just like there's not much more to say. This is a 90 plus win team that should be in the playoffs, whether it's wild card division winner. You know, I feel like you can pencil them in unless they have a ton of catastrophic injuries down the road. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I mean, for from Volpe's standpoint, 
I mean, this kind of is, I guess, surprising to me, but 27 home runs in the minor leagues in 2021 and 21 last year. So, right. you know, probably have to show a little bit more at the big league level, but he's got time. He'll be okay. I think he's a, he's, he's just, I just worry he's too much high floor and people are expecting him to be high Their ceiling. Cheater. Um, which I guess you could say Jeter was a high floor guy anyway. So yeah, but what um, he turned into, like that's the thing is like you know they're not expecting rookie year Derek Jeter. They're expecting two thousand four. No. He's up right now. If you want me to do some bad podcasting, he took a fastball down no, the middle for okay. strike one and two splitters in the dirt. He's ahead in the count. That's good. That's good. So <laughs> let's let's move into the the second you know kind of almost most most talked about team in you know the AL East, and that's the Boston Red Sox. Obviously, they have a huge fan base. You know, when I look at this roster, I think – remember when I referred to – well, I forget what team it was, but as clunky. It's like – Yeah, who was it? It was a it was an AL West Angels, team, wasn't it? Angels, Angels. Angels, yeah. I feel that way about the Red Sox. Yes. You have a lot of good, a lot of name value too. Chris Sale, Kenley Jansen, Corey Kluber. Justin Turner. Justin Turner, you have guys yeah. like that that might be past their prime. You have some guys that you could see bringing value, almost under name value. Adam Duvall, Masataka Yoshida, Alex Verdugo, and then you have your superstar in Rafael Devers. How do you replace Xander Bogarts? Like, if you told me this team, I know they look good weekend one, but like, I find a, I find I would find it hard to believe that this team finishes ahead of. Anybody in that division, I would give you the Orioles, but I have a hard time looking at this roster and thinking it's any more than a 500 team at best. Yeah, this is the fourth or fifth best team in the in the division. I would say in the Orioles will get into them, but they're not quite there yet. Um, I, I I agree. You're spot on. I mean, their pitching staff is not good. Like their pitching staff is just not good. Um, you know, I, I know they have some some hopes for guys like Tanner Hawk and and if Sale can come back and be healthy and you know hopefully we get to see our our guy Brandon Walter at some point and make his debut but you know they're just not I don't know there, there's a lot of pitching questions I don't love their lineup because you know we talk a lot about here I'll ask you this we talk a lot about you know throughout these previews and we said this is what they like this is what they like what is this lineup like how? What is this constructed on, other than name value, right? Like they have a lot of like I don't know. Like I can't tell you what the Red Sox brand of guy is, other than like old name value right now. Like Duvall, Turner, Kike, Devers is obviously an exceptional player who does it all. He's one of the best hitters in the game. You know, Yoshida, they take a chance on Yoshida can hit it out. Verdugo, like I, you, you, you know what I mean? Like I don't know really. I can't put my finger on like this is the t- this is a guy who the Red Sox like this is what they go after and it's it's kind of been a weird transition um once Heim Bloom took over uh you know and obviously he's had a tough transition because he got there and there were superstars who needed to get paid but they needed to transition into and get younger and better and like he's kind of played the middle which personally I don't think it's playing the, worst the middle thing ever correct it's the worst thing in any sport playing the we're not rebuilding, but we're not competing game never works out because you don't end up with anything. So yeah, you let your superstars walk because you're, but we're not full rebuild. So we're not getting back top prospects because we're going to still 
try and stay competitive. I know that was a lot of word vomit, but like that's just kind of what it feels like they've done. You know, the addition of Justin Turner, it's a veteran presence, but it's not like a veteran presence who's coming to a team with a bunch of young hitters who needs a veteran presence. There's plenty of veteran presence already on that roster. So the Turner move doesn't make much sense. I mean, if you want, like Tristan Casas is someone who interests me a little bit, but um, yeah, just in, and in this division where like, if you're not going to win the division and try and win a world series, do what the Orioles did because you're not going to win 88 games and get into the play. Like you could, there's probably gonna be three teams that win 90 games in this division. So 85 yeah. wins, 86 wins, 87 wins probably doesn't get you knocking on the door of anything. I think the only hope that I have for this team is the fact that watching them over the weekend, they looked like they had good vibes. They do have good vibes, but like also that, remember, that's, and that's remember weird. they're a, a, a routine fly ball away from being. No, I get that. Yeah, losing but that I, series. Just in general, like they look like they like almost like take away the names and I just like, like their presence at the plate and the few yeah. opportunities that I saw, like for some reason, and maybe it was just the, the jerseys and just knowing the history and everything like that. I just thought they put together, you know, I guess better at bats, which is kind of just my way of saying like, who knows, maybe this team is just one of those Red Sox teams that outperforms and next thing you know, we're sitting there, but you know, the Alex Verdugo in return for Mookie Betts at the time was viewed as a very positive Verdugo had come up, performed Mookie Betts was obviously in line to be a free agent. You look at back at that trade and understanding that the Dodgers are now going to get 10 plus years out of Mookie Betts and MVP value. And they got Alex Verdugo and Jeter Downs, who is now a Washington national, um, and not because of a trade, it was because of a real DFA. I'm pretty sure, if I'm not mistaken, he was a. I think he was, he was non-tendered. Be, yeah, he was had to be put on the 40 man, and and he wasn't. So when you kind of factor all those things in together, it's like if you're going to trade your superstars, you got to get a little bit more value back. But again, clunky roster. I think pitching rotation wise, obviously Sale got banged up in start one, but I, I, that's not going to be the Sale we see from here on out. There's a lot of people that are high on Cutter Crawford. The only thing I like about Cutter Crawford is his namesake. Um, Corey Kleber's just a walking BP thrower at this point. Um, Adley Rutschman would probably pay for him to come pitch to him in the home run derby this year. Um, and then they have, do have some, Ooh. they do have some good arms in the bullpen. Uh, I mean, Hadley went five for five with a wall. Oh, I know, but that yeah, was, was that was just, in. I mean, that was really a blow. So, I mean, Tanner Hook, Hawk had a lot of hype. People think like it's just like a They're lot of like him. I'm not. Yeah, it's a lot of you got to wait and see. You know, like if and again, if but not everything exciting. breaks right. They're an 87 win team in my right. opinion. Like, they have like even their young guys, like especially their young arms. Like it's like oh, he could be a three maybe. And it's like that's yeah. what we're that's what we're getting excited about right now. And our and we're you still, don't have like, front line guys anymore. So is. Is Cutter Crawford the new Nick Pavetta? Even though people are still like, like I, I could have sworn I read it. Like, oh, Pavetta added this, or Pavetta did this this spring. Like, are we shocked at this point that Pavetta is getting preseason hype because it's never happened? Like, it's just like only eight consecutive years. Yeah, like he's just. We've been hearing about Nick Pavetta since he was traded from the Washington Nationals for Jonathan Papelbon of like the potential. Um of of that 
Yes, he was traded for Jonathan Pavel. Yeah, I was trying to Phillies. remember that. Tra- I was trying to remember that trade. Yeah. yeah. Um, so no, nothing. I, I don't think we really need to spend too much time on on this roster outside of that. I mean, it's it's obviously a you know it's an okay team. It's kind of just your average big market team that's still trying to hang on to any last limb of potential. So let's go into probably the most fun team in the AL East at this point in time to talk about, and it's just. Rays are going to Ray. And man, after weekend one, the name value on that roster, you're like, ah, like they have some holes. They have some, you know, and then you watch weekend one and you're like, is this the best team in the AL? Like they, they were, they looked that good between the arms that they threw out there, not having Tyler Glass. Now you have Shane McClanahan, who's an ace of aces. You have Jeffrey Springs, who looks like an ace. You have, um, Obviously, Pete Fairbanks coming out of the pen, Jason Adam coming out of the pen, who are unhittable. Colin Poche, who's unhittable. Drew Rasmussen's everybody's favorite, you know, toy of last year of like underrated arms. And then guess who's going to be this year? Like, oh, Zach Eflin, you've kind of been in and out of rotations for the last since as long as Nick Pavetta has been relevant. Well, we're going to take you in. We're going to put our arm around you and let you do what you do well and, and figure out a way to make you successful. And then we go over to the other side of the ball. So obviously we know the Rays pitch it. Well, Wander Franco, again, did we forget who he was? Yes, because as a society, we have a tendency to forget that when Wander Franco was the number one prospect in the world, it was like no debate. Like it was who who's after him and, and not by who's after him in terms of the young guys that we know of now, like the Gunnar Hendersons, the Volpes of the world, it was Wander in his own tier and then Julio Rodriguez and Adley Rutschman. And again, prospect rankings can be wrong and very well. They quite frankly probably are because Adley and Julio are definitely on his tier and, and debatable, but he's come out looking like he had a full off season to get healthy and right. Yandy Diaz is a stud. Brandon Lau seems healthy. And then you go into the bullpen, Randy Rosarena might, or the outfield, Randy Rosarena might be the most fun player in baseball or pushing his way up there. And Jose series, a guy they took from the Astros for just a flyer who just happens to now put balls in play at 110 plus and has 100% 100th percentile sprint speed. It's like, Oh, the Rays are going to Ray. Yeah, their starting pitching um, in their last 16 and a third has allowed one run. In their last 11 innings, they've allowed two hits. I mean, like, they're so good. They're so You want to get me excited about a roster? Like, those first two teams, like, they're whatever. This team right here, what they continue to do, and, like, the names, like McClanahan, Springs, Eflin, Rasmussen, Tyler Glasnow isn't even pitching yet, and they have maybe the best rotation in baseball. And then if Tyler Glasnow comes back and he's healthy, you add an ace to that. And, like, McClanahan might win a Cy Young. And when they hand – that, you know, Zach Eflin signs the biggest free agent deal in race history. And, you know, I've always – I've been on record um, with several people. I've always been a huge Zach Eflin fan. I really liked his stuff. Um, when he was in Philly and he really started to turn it on the last two years, he just dealt with knee problems and, and couldn't stay in the rotation for a full season because he was, you know, banged up. But when he pitched, he was really, really good. And then he was, you saw how valuable he was in the bullpen, uh, during the postseason with the Phillies last year. And it's just like, they hand him that contract and you're like, oh, he's going to get better. 
Like he's going to the yeah. Rays. <laughs> like he's going to get better. And they're not going to hand out the biggest free agent contract ever unless they were sure that they found themselves a guy. And as long as he stays healthy, like he's your four. I know he pitched second to start the year, but he's probably your four, right? Once Glasnow gets back, it's Glasnow, Shane Baz, Springs, Shane Baz. I mean, like it's just name, 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 and then you talk about their offense, and you're spot on about Wander. I don't know what Wander's done to start the year. Has it been any good? He's hitting five seventy one. He's got like six doubles already. And like you said, I, I know that um, you know prospect rankings. You can throw out the window sometimes, and they're not always right. But we were talking about a, a once in a generation prospect. Like this was a prospect. This wasn't just like a, a oh he's the number one guy in this class. He's the best one. It was like no, we've never really seen anyone like Wander Franco before. From the age of sixteen. Yeah, we were saying that about him, and then he comes up, and you know he has to get the rookie, you know, the rookiness out of the way, and then he gets hurt last year, and everyone's just like Adley and Gunnar Henderson. We've moved on. Julio Rodriguez has the big year, yeah. and it's just like okay, just how the Rays are. Like, don't talk about Wander Franco. They play in a dump of a stadium, so no one likes watching their games on TV except for you and I, because um, we can get past it. And you know, Randy Arosa ranked like that lineup, and imagine if Yandy Diaz figures out how to put a ball in the air, which he did already once this year like that team is the team is loaded they're loaded Loaded. and and they're one of the most injury proof organizations in the game that's the other thing like they can survive a wander franco being hurt for the whole year and still make the playoffs you saw him do it last year if glasnell doesn't pitch till august i'm not worried i'm not worried like if if you know because harold ramirez is probably gonna have a big year for tampa well and that's that's the craziest part about tampa is it's not like last year, this is what people forget. Last year was almost felt like, I don't want to say the expectation, but it fell more in line with what we think of when we think of Tampa. Well, they had the worst injury luck Oh, last it was year. ridiculous. It was ridiculous. Last year And was they ridiculous. still were what, as good games? as they were. Yeah. Like, so that is their floor. If they can, mm-hmm. if things break right, we're talking about a team that in 2020 was kicking down the door of winning a World Series. And that's a 100 win team. They were right. If things really break right, close that's a 100 win team. It, and in name value, and for anybody who wants to feel old, Wander Franco, A, is the third youngest player on MLB rosters in the big, in the AL right now. Repeat yourself. Third youngest player. He was born in 2001. So let's remember that this guy still has – he's in his third year in the big leagues at 22. I mean, he's it's unbelievable. And if we want to overreact right now, he looks like he's going he's gonna to be one of the best players in the league through the first yeah. four games. Yeah. I, I mean, there's no doubt about that. And, and then just a Rosarena had a probably an underrated, of course, because he plays in the trop. Underrated great year last year. If he can repeat that – like if Jose Siri can bring anything, I mean oh, he's and, basically and, Kevin Kiermaier with more tools, which he's is just looked great. Amazing he's looked think. great yeah. in that first weekend. He plays a really good set. Like, and that's the thing about the Rays is like, you know, how many times do we get on here and we, you know, we talk about the edges of rosters and we talk about how important it is for the stars of these teams to have big years. It's like this team knows their identity so well and knows how to get the most out of all their guys that Jose Siri to have a good year and like be everything the Rays need him to be doesn't need to be 280 with 15 homers and 30 bags. He If he goes and hits like 230 and hits, you know, 10 homers, plays great defense and steals a bunch of bags, he's going to be a huge piece of a team that's... Oh, they're going to love him. 
Right. Like that, and that that's what makes them so good is they know who they are so well. That front office, you know, does an unbelievable job. Eric Neander's probably the best executive in baseball. He's won, you know, executive of, I think he's won. Did he win executive of the year last year, two years ago? Uh, definitely not last year, but um, whatever. I mean, he, before. He, maybe I'm just, I, I assume he's No, he's win, great. He's great. And, and like, the, the, there's not a lot of holes. And I know, like, mm-hmm. most baseball fans who, you know, the fantasy baseball players, as you say, like none of these guys are going to be the best players on in your fantasy league. No. But like, if you know baseball, it's like there's no holes here because they can just, they just plug and play. And these guys are, yep. I mean, think about Isak Paredes. Like that's He's a guy a that like today. nobody wanted him. He hit 21 homers last year. Yeah. And, and then not to mention Taj Bradley is the, in the long line of prospects that they've developed. I mean, it's just like, I mean, you it's can stupid. say this, like Jeffrey Springs wasn't even supposed to start for them last year. No. And that's how because good they the are injuries. at what they do. Right. And then they were like, hey, like this guy's really good. Let's <laughs> just turn him into uh, an ace. He and right, because then with one the, walk yesterday. And then, right. And then he goes, he goes into the off season and they're like, and they were like, we hey, work just, on this. Yeah. Right. If we can just get you to throw your fat, your change up just a little bit harder and turn it over a little more and get your fastball towards the top of the zone with consistency, you're going to be one of the best starters in the AL. He had an unbelievable spring. He goes out, like you said, in his first start, and he goes six innings and no hit ball. Punches 12. Yeah. With Shane Ew. Baz and Tyler Glasnow on the IL. It's just, all right, we, we could, lo- we're going to have to. And a, bullpen, and a list of bullpen guys that, you, yeah. that that people would, would drool over. Yes, definitely. And then, you know, we turn the page to another team, obviously, like the AL East. I mean, I said it when I was typing out the names of the teams that we we're going to talk about. It's just absolutely loaded for Bear. I mean, uh, you know, name value of the Red Sox and the Yankees, obviously. But, man, none of these rosters are bad. I mean, we always talk about, like, in comparison to the, you know, their competition right. when we we're talking about the AL Central. But, you know, I think when I look at the Blue Jays, obviously, in our prop bet episode they were my value bet for world series with the odds that they carried but you know when you look at this roster it's kind of almost a combination of a little bit of what the rays do not like finding under the radar value but like you get excited about the lineup and you get excited about the rotation and you get excited about the names that they have Kevin Gaussman, Alec Manoa if Jose Barrios can ever turn it around that would be awesome to see Kikuchi, who is the best spring training pitcher in the universe and then turns it into the season. And then Chris Bassett, who's your number five. And I know he got absolutely slaughtered in game one, but you know, he's a guy who's pitched big innings for the Mets last year and obviously Oakland before that and has been a valuable starter. So there's definitely some pieces to an exciting rotation. And then you turn into their lineup and obviously their bullpen has a ton of ton of arms that are just really good. Jordan Romano throws a billion miles per hour. Anthony Bass has just a disgusting slide piece. And then just obviously some other guys that are come out going to come out and throw smoke. They might have the best catching duo in baseball, offensively at least. I mean, Alejandro Kirk had a great all-star year last year. Danny Jansen had good years when he played. Bo Bichette's a superstar. Matt Chapman's undervalued to a large degree, Vladimir Guerrero is going to keep Pete for an MVP. George Springer in the outfield, Darton Varsho. So like a lot of pieces. And then the addition of Kevin Kiermaier to play defense. So a lot of pieces to like with this team. So as you kind of look through this, this roster, you know, what excites you the most about Toronto? Well, I just think the infield, right? Like this is, this is probably the best infield in baseball. 
um, you know, just with Vlad Bichette and Chapman. And and you said it, Chapman's undervalued. He's gotten to the point where he's undervalued now. I don't know what people are expecting. I, I know he punches out a ton, but he's one of the best defenders in baseball. He hits 30 bombs. Like, I, I'm not is sure. It, is it just me or do we overvalue Oakland A's players? Like, is that a thing? Like guys that perf- over? Over. Like, you like, think I they feel should like be they better? Get talked- no, I feel like they get talked about. Not really over or undervalued. I feel like... When guys play well for the Oakland A's, it's always a big deal. And then they move Maybe on, and it's kind of like they, they don't get don't talked have... about as much. Well, Olsen – I mean, Olsen had a – I don't think anybody kinda, was saying I don't Olsen. feel like nationally he gets the credit really? he deserves. But when he was in Oakland, it was like, this guy's yeah. great, and then he gets traded. And Maybe because like, ah. he's in the division of the team I root for, so it's just like I know – I don't know. Yeah. I know how good – like I watched Matt Olsen all last year. He's uh, had a great year. I know he started slow, but like he raked. Um. Yeah, I don't know, but Chapman, like, it, it's weird because, uh, again, this infield and, and, like, I've also kind of been, uh, like, I think I've been sleeping on Bo Bichette a little bit, and it's time to wake up. I mean, he breaks. He's got a great approach, and that's, like, one of the things that has impressed me as I've kind of started to, like, really pay attention to Bichette is, like, Bichette's in control of his at-bat every time he's up there, and um, you see him adjust so well. Uh to what guys are trying to do to get him out. And he just hits like he just hits. He flat out hits. He hits for power. He hits for extra bases. Um, and he, and, and then you do it in front of one of the, you know, Vladimir Guerrero is one of the, you know, one of the premier power hitters in our game. I don't love that they traded Teoscar Hernandez, but I love what they went after the deal was done to get Varsho and get Kiermaier, Kiermaier and become a little bit more dynamic Instead of just having, you know, you know, when you have oh. Chapman, Vlad, and Teoscar, like three of those guys, you can see it sometimes if they're cold for a stretch, and you saw it for points last year where it's like those guys who are streaky, you know, Vlad just typically won't be, but he had a little bit of a down year last year. So, like, when they're streaky, because Chapman certainly is streaky, and Teoscar is too, I get that. To get a guy like Varsho and, and Kiermaier who can really run it down, and if Springer stays healthy, I mean, this lineup's loaded. And even more importantly on the Varsho and Kiermaier, getting left-handed bats. Correct. They were they so had right-handed they were heavy so last right-handed. year. Yeah. And, I mean, you can get away. I don't think you necessarily can, but you could get away more with left-handed heaviness because yes. the majority of your you, at-bats are going to be against right-handed right. pitch. Correct. But when you're right-handed heavy and you're in a division that has – Garrett Cole that has like all these guys that are just really good that have you're in a matchup nightmare every time you go down to the trop and like they're just like and Kevin Cash is over there like chuckling because he's like they're really going to roll out a 15 straight righties and let me just deploy my bullpen in any other way being able to get more left-handed and that's why like even to a certain extent like Kevin Biggio yeah Kevin Biggio's had his ups and downs but like he almost well, you couldn't give up on him if you're the Blue right. Jays. You couldn't move him. You had to move a Teoscar, which obviously brings back a little more value. There's reasons behind the scenes of it. But Brandon Belt, like you said, brings a power element, brings a from platoon that, element the right to side. get yeah. Vladdy off of his feet. Like all of those things that are going to be very important to their success. And then, you know, you, they did give up a lot to get Varsho. Varsho's controllable. It's one thing that I don't think we really covered. But, you know, Gab- Gabriel Moreno was highly regarded catching he was. prospect. And, he was, but and I think they're just, like you said, I mean, he's blocked. They love their catching yeah, options. There. They like love you their said, catching They're two options. of the best offensive catchers in the league. 
So I think that that's when you're able to move a guy like that. And Lourdes Goriel didn't have a spot, right? Like he didn't have a spot. That's that was an easy one to give up on. And then um, just to touch on pitching real quick, doesn't it feel like Berrios is the key here? Like you know what you're going to get out of 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 give you another starters. Like I think Hinjin Ryu and Hinjin. Well, what can we get out of Hinjin Ryu? That that's huge. I mean, huge. And Berrios, like if 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 Jose Berrios, like we thought this guy was going to be you know, a one for years to come when he, when he broke in with Minnesota, the stuff was explosive. The command was fine. He's just gotten hit. Yeah. He hasn't figured out how to miss bats. And last year, like he would, he it was hysterical. Cause it felt like last year it was like, well, wow. Bears just turning on seven innings. You know, he'd give you a really strong start with eight or nine K's and you'd be really happy and he'd win a game. And then he wouldn't get out of the second inning in his next start. Yeah, and he would just get hammered, and it was just like one of those things where it was it was kind of tough to tough to watch. Um, yeah. So if if him and Ryu, yeah, I mean deep because Manoa and Galsman, like they'll pitch with anyone. Yeah. Kevin, what definitely. Kevin Galsman has done to turn himself into what he has, you know, leaning on the splitter, he's really good. And uh, yeah, this team, I mean, like the the three teams at the top with the Yankees, the Rays, and the Blue Jays. It's easy to get excited about them. Very easy. Very easy to get excited. And, and you know, I think this division is going to be fun. And then kind of the team to round it out, that's everybody's darling because obviously they played great last year. They got a couple good-looking young guys that are going to lead the charge with this team is the Baltimore Orioles. And, you know, obviously I think a lot of times we see the progression. You know, we talk about progression and player development isn't linear, but also team building. Uh, being able to perform at your peak isn't linear, but you know, this team has a lot of pieces that you like. You have Cedric Mullins, who is a stud Campbell university graduate. Anthony Santander looked really sharp in the world baseball classic. And he's coming off a season that, you know, he definitely showed a lot of power and really could come into this year and, and kind of build off of that. I mean, he hit 33 home runs last year. Dan, tell me, did you know that Anthony Santander hit 33 home runs last year? I actually did, but that's just because I, I'm a, I didn't I'm a until the World Baseball Classic. I found out, and I was like, wow. Um, Kyle Stowers is a guy that has a ton of pop. You know, he's going to platoon out there with Austin Hayes. They're going to mix and match. Gunnar Henderson's, you know, just hopefully a, a burgeoning superstar. And Jorge Mateo brings a ton of value. Mountcastle, quite frankly, underperformed his batted ball profile last year. I think he was number one in baseball in the difference between expected Woba and Woba. So that's a guy who could really break out. Obviously, it's not exactly a right-handed haven right now um, since they moved the fences back. Um, yeah, that kind of tortured a guy weird. like Ryan yeah. Mountcastle. But, I mean, I think their thought process there, not to get too deep into it, was that, you know, if we can have pitchers that miss bats, I think we'd rather have a bigger ballpark and have hitters that have to hit it further than have pitchers like John Means who give up soft contact in the air that just, like, scrapes the wall. Um, And then also they're going to do a good job with pitchers. I know we haven't seen the fruits of it in terms of the Grayson Rodriguez and DL Hall promotions and turn into rock stars, but Dean Kramer had a really good year last year. They took a flyer on Austin Voth, and he had some success. It'll be interesting to see if they can do the same with Cole Irvin this year. Felix Batista is just an absolute mutant. And, you know, one of the things that I've kind of been saying recently is that the teams that do the best in player development are the ones that find relievers specifically out of nowhere. 
like scrap heap relievers and and the Orioles, quite frankly, like their bullpen stuff wise, Colonel Perez, Felix Batista, you have a lot of guys that come out of that bullpen just throwing absolute fuzz and doing a good job. So and then Kyle Bradish is a lot of people's sleeper, really good breakout candidate of the year. So, you know, ton of names there. I don't think this team's going to Pete. I think they're going to take a step backwards from last year. Um, you know, I think they're gonna definitely show some peaks and show some potential, but I think they're still, you know at least an ace away, which could be Grayson Rodriguez. He could be knocking on the door, but I still think there's some pieces that need to be ironed out before they, they can really take that step into the Tampa Bay Blue Jays and Yankees realm. Yeah. I mean, I think you're spot on. I think the the thing that's so exciting, every, they are everyone's darlings. It's like, they're not, everyone keeps calling them their sleeper. And it's like, at some point, when everyone's doing it, they're kind of expected to make a push for the playoffs. And they're not. This division's just too deep. This this roster isn't quite there yet. But just the core of Santander and Mullins go Camels baseball. Um Gunnar Henderson and and uh Adley, I, like that's that's worth the worth the wait for the Orioles fans. I mean yeah. that core for, for years to come is gonna be I mean, that's it right there. That's a team that will when you're ready to compete, that will be the team that'll lead you to a division crown and, and and push for a run in the world series. And, you know, I like the pitching when it gets there, like I like Dean Kramer. I think they have some guys, like you said, teams that can develop. What do they do? They find relievers out of nowhere. Um, and Felix Bautista is disgusting. And then, you know, hopefully Grayson Rodriguez, who I love, hopefully he can get up there at some point this summer in DL hall. And they can show you that next kind of okay this is what this is what's on the brink of arriving and this is what's going to take us to the next level and then you know they're they're probably a year or two away from from really making noise like next year you want to talk to me the year after that's when they're really going to be um kind of a team that's to be taken serious but if anything this is going to be a really fun club because they're young they have some really really talented players um if they can hold on to the ball in left field they'll probably have a, a, a pretty exciting season yeah, I mean they're definitely worth watching. Like I think For there's sure. enough talent there that can stuff to be excited about that I'm not going to sit here and say they're a playoff team, but I'd rather tune into a Baltimore Orioles Tampa Bay Rays game than a Boston Red Sox Tampa mm-hmm. Bay Rays game. Agreed. Um, quite frankly, like it's just more exciting, more storylines, more pieces to talk about. So, you know, obviously that's a lot to unpack from the AL East and we have a ton of storylines from the from the NL East. So, let's get into that side of it. Obviously, this kind of hits close to home more towards you than me. I used to be an NL East homer with the, with my Washington Nationals that I, I don't really claim allegiance to anymore um, being in the division, but we'll start off with them. I mean, really, let's just kind of go into a quick discussion. Obviously, we don't have to go in depth about the roster like we've done with every other team about kind of just direction of the organization. We had the Juan Soto trade, which to a lot of people seemed like almost like it wouldn't happen. Um, and quite frankly, they did a pretty good job. Um, I think in the return that they got between Mackenzie Gore, between obviously Cedre Abrams and then James Wood, who seems like a superstar, and then Harleen Susana, there's a lot to build off of. Those are four guys that are going to make MLB rosters at some point. Like that's almost a definite, which if you get that up in a trade, that's pretty good. Um, but just organizationally, I mean, player development wise, they're kind of lacking. They haven't exactly hit on the first round picks of the 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021 range. They're starting to do a little bit of a better job. You know, Brady House is obviously just a 
really good player. Elijah Green's a very tooled up player, identifying a James Wood in a trade. You're starting to see a little bit more high ceiling, but I mean, organizationally, I, I think from the outside, what I would love from your perspective is like, is Mike Rizzo the guy to lead the charge? I mean, he did such a good job with the team that won it all. He's kind of a savant when it comes to trades, at least historically speaking. You know, he gets Trey Turner as a player to be named later for, you know, pretty much next to nothing who becomes borderline Hall of Fame level player. And, you know, you just get to see him run the lead the charge. But, you know, there's that balance between being stuck in your ways of what worked in the early 2010s and what might not work, what might not work now. Yeah. You know, and I, I think they've never been good at drafting and developing the trade to get Turner. You, you mentioned it. The two, what are the two biggest draft picks in national? Well, it was their best three draft picks so far in the history of the, the um, organization has been, one 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 six, and the, and the two one one guys were like you're idiots if if you don't take those two guys. And if the, you're talking about and two one, generational talent. One six would have went one one if he didn't get hurt his Correct. junior year at Rice and Anthony right. Rendon. So like to, to me, it's like they've never been good at that. And when you look back before they went on that run, like they were built up by those guys when they when they selected them, right? Those three guys specifically. He's really good at training. I feel like. Just from an outside perspective, they kind of operate in an old-fashioned way still in the sense that what we've talked about is the communication and being able to identify and develop and draft and how to communicate from the top down. I feel like Mike Rizzo is really good at running a big league organization, but there's a disconnect between the big league team and what goes on underneath of it. And to me, that spells trouble, especially in today's day and age, because all these other teams are, you know, especially the premier teams are so good. The thing that I don't like about the Soto Hall is, is like, are C.J. Abrams and Mackenzie Gore going to be even around by the time they start to compete again? I don't know. Wood and Susanna, though, really, really excite me. That's where they did great in that trade. It's almost C- worth the trade just for those two guys. C.J. Get- Abrams was the fourth piece in that trade. I don't know Correct. if Mike Rizzo believes that, but Correct. in reality, no, C.J. Abrams is the fourth piece. Yes. And James Wood was the one. one Gore's the two. I think Gore's the type of guy where if he starts to show flashes, they get the ownership situation figured out. They lock him up for like one of these eight-year, $120, million deals that we've seen a lot of guys get. Yeah, and, and and you know that's where I think. So I don't know if the answer is yes that he should lead him into the next um, wave. I know that if Mike Rizzo were to be let go, he'd be hired in a, a heart and a half, right? Yeah. And and I don't think that's wrong. I just don't know if it's maybe time for a change in in Washington. And and you know they got the World Series that they desperately you know kind of needed and wanted and deserved because they had been so good for that seven year stretch from 2012 to 2019. They should have won a World Series. Um, and it was worth it. And to see them kind of blow it up, like they, I don't think they waited too long either. That's where I will mm-hmm. commend Mike Rizzo. Yeah, they like did he a great was job. Like, it was like Harper's not coming back. We won the World Series. And it's like, oh, okay, like Strasburg can't be healthy. Scherzer's aging. Like just go. Boom. Just get rid get of it. Off. Don't yep. hold on to it. Don't try and, which you see teams sometimes do, is like, let's hold the on. Tigers. It's really special to win your first World Series. Like those guys mean a lot to that city. You know, that fan base is obviously very fair weathered because you don't have a lot of people from dc in that area there's people from all Mm -hmm. over the world that live in dc so and there's no history right there's not a lot of history you're not gonna you're really never gonna have the most passionate fans in that area either 
Um, you know, mm-hmm. the ones who are passionate, passionate fans, a lot of them are Orioles fans who root for the, the, the commanders, right? Yeah. Like DC commander fans are Orioles fans. A lot of them. Um, yeah. so it's tough, but it, but they're going to mean a lot, those guys. And sometimes it's tough to move on for them. I think he did a great job moving on when he did. Yeah. And now you just got to like take your lumps. They're not going to be very competitive. There's not a lot to be excited about. But I think he's doing the right thing. So it's hard to say, like, does he deserve to be the one to lead him into the next wave? I don't. He made the right moves. He turned it over when he was supposed to. Can he be the one to lead the development of those guys? I don't know. He needs a lot of help around him to do that, I guess, is, is my yeah. answer. And I think that what people forget about him jumping at that is that 2021 team was good. That it was crazy, it was like good. But he saw the writing on the wall. He saw the writing on the move. wall, and which was a great move. 2020 team was good. 2021 team was good. Like you're talking about Kyle Schwarber, Trey Turner, Juan Soto, Max Scherzer, a healthy and sane Patrick Corbin, a healthy Steven Strasburg, like. Jan Gomes, like there was players across that. Go yeah. get Josh Bell, trade for Josh Bell and get him. Like that's a good club. Victor Robles at the very least is a elite defensive center fielder. And you're starting to see the pieces of a team that can really compete. But, you know, you're right. I think they've done a better job recently with the draft, um, being able to identify high end talent. But their pitching development is where their problems it's are. Just, and and until it was you get that figured out, it's going to be yeah. I mean, even until then, it's you know, they had to put big money in pitchers. They had to put big money in across the roster. I mean, Juan Soto was their probably pride of development, which was impressive. He was a six figure sign. I don't think he got over a million. So you definitely have to give credit to the talent yes. identification for that. But their scouts, this the best thing the Nationals have is their scouts across the minor leagues in professional baseball. Yes. Which is why they're, they're good tra- at making they're great trades. At they're great at Ma- it. Great at making trades. They're not good at drafting. So how you and they're not good at developing either. So like they're playing. Which is why I say it feels like there's a yeah. a disconnect from the big leagues to that developmental in the farm system. And I don't know if it's as simple as they're just not on this like we've heard you and I have now talked to enough people to know that sometimes it's as simple as like this guy's in in high A. He's hearing something from from his coach. It's working. He's he's understanding what he needs to do to be successful. He's playing well. He gets bumped up to double A. Hears something completely different. They try and change him. And it goes downhill. Sometimes it is yeah. as simple as that, right? Yeah, and I think the big thing for me is the old school versus new school. And this is probably a conversation for way beyond just a podcast. When it comes to scouting minor leagues and professional baseball, new school eyes on understanding those intricacies are going to have value. When it comes to drafting and it comes to player development, you have to be new school. You have to be advanced. You have to keep up with the times. You have to understand analytics. You have to understand all the things that go into what leads to success. So player development is completely different than just identifying a guy who can play and then making him a valuable big leaguer. So that'll be the last thing we cover there. Let's go over to the Marlins. And I mean, I don't really have much to say. We spent a lot of time this offseason talking about you know them. So if you really want to know our takes on uh, the Marlins and their roster construction head back into the offseason. I don't know exactly what episode it was, but when we talked about the Luis Arias trade for Pablo Lopez, 
just kind of a meh roster that needs Jazzism to be really good and that needs to somehow have Jorge Soler go back to what he did in the playoffs and maybe they have a fighting chance. Their pitching's good, but you know, the only thing that I would conclude on the Miami Marlins is the fact that they had ten hits, seven singles, one triple, and they scored two runs and they were on two solo home runs. So if you can't string together hits in the big leagues and you can rack up 10 hits and only come away with two runs and both of them were on solo home runs, your offense is not built to its best of of their abilities. It's just frustrating because how can I don't, it's almost like you're, you're making a a point and it's going to, what's the saying where you're dying on a hill, I guess. Right. Yeah. That's the, that's the saying. I feel like there's another one out there, but they're dying on the hill of like, we're going to prove that you don't need a slug to win. It's like, watch the game of baseball. Pitchers are too good. Pitchers are too good. I just just don't understand. Like I get like, you don't want a guy that can hit the ball in the gap. Let me just, let me just say this. Like I get when me and you are sitting down and like we bump into some guy, let's just say in Columbia, South Carolina in the bar who knows nothing about baseball, but he thinks strikeouts stink because he watched in the seventies. And he's like, you know, I would build a team around contact. I would get that. Right. Like, Oh, I saw the guardians last year. They were fun. They put the ball in play. They stole bases. They were great. They played good defense. I would get it if somebody wasn't informed, but with somebody who has the resources that they have, you're it's running not just a major league organization. As, yeah, you're running a ma- major league organization. It's not just me looking up baseball savant and saying that this guy's good. This guy's not, this guy does this, this guy does that. Like this is, you have a wealth of information. You have everything at your fingertips and you still decide to go in that direction because even the guardians don't think that that's the best way to do it. Like they know they need a sprinkle of ev- a little bit of everything, but the, the Marlins are just like, nah. You, like, I just want to go back to, direction. we, we did the draft, you Colin and I, where we drafted guys at uh, each position. Remember? Yeah. And I remember we were preparing for this draft and we were talking and, and we said, Second base is weak. Across baseball, second base is, is kind of weak, especially offensively yeah. right now. The Marlins employ five. <laughs> five. Great efficiency. A position that we think is weak, they, they employ five of them. Right? Wendell, Arias, Segura, Birdie, and Jazz Chisholm. And Chisholm's one of the best ones in the league. And now you got him playing center field. So you take one of the best guys at second base, who's probably most valuable at second base, and you move him to a position he's never played. I just like that. It's just frustrating to me because they have young arms. They have good arms. They have good young arms. They have guys with explosive stuff. And like, they're just offense. Like you need guys who can slug in major league baseball. Look how good your pitchers are. The only way they, the only way Sandy Alcantara usually gets beat is if he loses his own and then gets popped. Yeah. Like look how teams beat you. And, and it's funny because one of the reasons they leaned into this and went and got five second base is because they struck out too much last year. But they didn't slug either. And I remember me and you talked about on that episode the tweet from whoever it was yeah, saying. Mike Petrillo. Mike Petrillo. Was it Mike Petrillo? Mike Petrillo talking about how they, no, the Marlins just need good hitters. It's yeah, they not like they need a type of hitter. They just need guys who can hit. And look, Arias is off to an explosive start, but it's a lot of singles. Yeah, which is fine. What, and like he can bring value. Sure, but he, he can't can bring be value. like the piece. Like yes, who's the guy in your lineup? He, Luis Arias is not be the answer. hitting between Aaron Judge and Giancarlo. How good would Luis Arias be as a Yankee? He yes, he like they would and they would love runs. him. Everybody right. would have his jersey, and he would be great. 
Ugh, I exited out of the roster because I don't. That's like fine. It. We can move like, on. We're, we're moving on. Um, Let's on to the, the Philadelphia Phillies. Phillies. Yeah. yeah, of course, of course. I mean, I, hey, like I'll just let you kick this off because no, you go. There's all right. Well, you know, obviously, I'm. I got nothing through. to say right now. I'm at a loss. I don't know. I don't know. I don't. It's it's. Per, hey, I will go. It's perplexing. So obviously, as we sit here, they're on their way to being zero and four, and it's it's. It's not 0-4 and, and like, oh, tough luck. Now, Sunday Night Baseball, they lost a 2-1 game where the pitching was good and the offense was bad. They're getting beat 8-1 again in the sixth inning. Like, they're getting absolutely trounced. And everyone wants to overreact, and I, I'm, I'm a, we obviously made fun of people who overreact. I'm a big reason, but the more that I think about it, yes, this is an 87-win team, but currently through the first four games, they're not performing like an 87, 88, 89-win team. I think Having to start the year without Harper, and then as soon as Hoskins went down, it was a big kind of take a look in the mirror moment for them. Because when you look at the lineup they're rolling out there, Castellanos this is back-to-back night. You got Nick Castellanos in the four hole. And Nick Castellanos is coming off a terrible year where it wasn't just a down year. His exit velocities were down. He wasn't hitting the ball as hard. He wasn't making as much contact. He was swinging and missing. So those are like serious problems, right? When you start to look at the decline of a player, typically you look like, okay, if a guy starts to swing and miss more than he ever has and starts to hit the ball weaker than he ever has, that usually tells you that things are trending in the wrong direction. You pay him a lot of money. If he can't cover in the four hole for a month until Harper gets back, they got issues. When Hoskins went down, that opened them up to some serious things. They can obviously turn it around and rebound. This is still a roster who should be good enough to be better than what they've shown in the first four games, which is, I think, the run differential. If this holds up, they're down seven. I think they're going to be like a minus almost 30 already to start the year, which is just like, like that's, you know, that's what the worst teams in the league are doing. They're one of three teams who haven't won a game yet. Like, you're starting to look at a team and it's looking like, okay, this is starting to become like you do start to raise some eyebrows. Um, and then they've had pitching injuries too. Ranger Suarez starts the year. He's not going to be back until at least the end of April. Andrew Painter, who you go into the spring, you feel like you've put together the best roster you've had in, in 12 years. You feel like your pitching staff's in good shape. You feel like your bullpen's better than it's been. You have this 19-year-old prospect who flew through the ranks, who you actually hit on out of high school, and what happens? He sprains his UCL. He's not. He just picked up a baseball this weekend for the first time to play catch. So, like, I'm not saying panic, but I'm saying, like, right now they are squarely the third best team in this division, and they have an uphill battle. You don't know what Harper's going to be when he gets back now. The way they were talking last night on Sunday Night Baseball, it sounds like he'll be back sooner, which is a good thing because, you know, the less games he misses, the less rust you would have to imagine. That'll have to knock off when he gets back. Um, but he missed all those spring training at-bats. If they're not playing well, my next concern is is they're going to rush him through a rehab assignment like they did at the end of last year, which I think is a terrible idea because you rush a guy back because you're not playing well. Not only are you putting pressure on him, but he's not ready, and that's when things can really get ugly. So I'm not saying panic, but I'm saying this is dangerous. They're in a dangerous spot right now, especially because if you look at the biggest concern that I had going into the year, it's are the pitchers going to be worn out from throwing so many innings deep into November and not having their usual offseason routine? Well, your two guys that you're worried about, your three guys that you're worried about, Suarez isn't starting the year healthy. Wheeler and Nola got, I mean, Nola was, you know, no hits through three innings and then got absolutely lit up, couldn't get out of the fourth inning. Wheeler got absolutely shelled. So you kind of sit there and you're like, well, uh uh-oh, there's my biggest concern. 
you don't you don't have Hoskins again, who you're penciling in as 30 home runs into your lineup. And I know a lot of Philly fans have a love hate relationship with him. Reese Hoskins has been a great piece in that lineup for seven years. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't look good right now. And some of those relief, I mean, Gregory Soto had an infinity ERA until he got three outs last night. Sir Anthony Dominguez gave up six runs. That's another guy who threw way more than he ever has after not pitching for two years. He got gave up six runs without getting an out in his first appearance. Like, there's a lot of things that, like, if you want to be concerned, I think it's fair at this point. There's a lot of things that went right for the October on. Correct. That didn't necessarily aren't guaranteed to go right in 2023. Right. That a lot of people take for granted. Jose Alvarado being elite, Sir Anthony Dominguez being elite, and these guys can be elite. They can be elite in stretches, but. To expect them to be, you know, perfect, minuscule in terms of their mistakes is is hard to come by. And and again, I feel like this is this is something we see across all sports is people forget like man like Joe Girardi got fired last year. That's how yep. rough this team team was last year. And yes, they played great baseball, but how many times have we seen the you know, the team with the manager that gets fired, that goes on a hot run when they get the new manager and then they kind of revert back to the norm. And again, it's more injury luck than talent. Problems, well, I think it's also right? like a, a a World Series hangover. And if there's a if there's a championship hangover in any sport, I think baseball is the biggest one. You play six months in your regular season. You now are adding another month to the end of that. Your, your pitchers are throwing more than ever. They don't have a normal off season. And when you're talking about something like, you know, this isn't a basketball player who like, he can still get up his shots in the off season and be ready to go. Right. Even and if they play mention- in the finals, like these pitchers, like you, you're at a risk of fatigue. And if you're not pitching to the top of your abilities in major league baseball, you're going to get smoked. That's how it goes. Not, not to mention that, and again, I don't blame them for going, but you have three guys that had to complete, well, one didn't play as deep. Two guys, and one being a very important and physically demanding position, who had to change their offseason to go play in the World Baseball Classic and be ready to play high-intensity high games before the season started. So, And both yeah. those guys played deep. I mean, Trey Turner yeah. played into the yeah. postseason. Like, and yeah. now – Turner, you look at what's going wrong through the first, you know, it has nothing to plus do with games. That. It's not Trey Turner. Trey Turner's no. getting on base Mm-mm. every night, and and he's alone. And I mean, and here's the other thing: like, it's funny because another reason Hoskins' injury is so big is because Kyle Schwarber historically in his career can't hit in April and May. Calendar flips to June, and he'll hit. I mean, in Washington, he hit how many? Seventeen homers in June last year. I think he hit twelve. Yeah, that's because the sticky stuff went away, though. But yeah, sure. But this is who he is. He did the same thing last year. Yeah, no, like, I know. I'm he trying to get up hit, so like, stats right now. You, don't, for him. you go into the year with out Hoskins, without Harper, a declining Castellanos, and a, and Kyle Schwarber, who can't hit the first two months of the year. You're going to be digging yourself out of the hole. And the only reason that I'm extra because obviously you saw him do it last year, and after Girardi was fired, they were 20 plus. I think there were 22 games over 500 the rest of the way from June 1st on, which is great. But it's harder to do that. It's a lot easier to be the Dodgers and race out to a division lead and just coast mm-hmm. the rest of the way, less stress. When you're playing and every night starting at the, in the middle of June is you're fighting for your life to get back to five. You claw back to 500. You claw 10 games over. Now you claw back into the playoff picture. Then you fight for dear life to hold on. For one year, yeah, that's realistic to do. You can't consistently expect a, a, a team to do that. That takes a lot out of you. That takes a lot out of your guys. It takes a lot out of your pitchers. So, I, I mean, I just think it, it's tough. And, and 
Whereas at the start of spring training, I would have told you this team could probably compete for. I mean, as, as as recent as probably last week on two and a half athletes, I was I was drinking Dave's Kool Aid that he was pouring for us. Where like, yeah, they can compete for this division. It's like I kind of I've kind of been knocked down to reality a little bit watching them, thinking like, wait, I look at this lineup, it's not that good. Mm-hmm. Wait, like Bailey Falter's having to pitch on Sunday night baseball. Mm-hmm. Matt Schaub, who signed to be a, a a reliever, is pitching game five. And we don't we don't have an update on Suarez or Painter, so like you don't know how long that's going to be for. Yeah, like all of a sudden you're like this this team's not that good. <laughs> yeah, just I will give Kevin Long his flowers. Alec Baum looks like he's taking a uh-huh. huge step forward. Alec um, Baum is yes, you know Bryson Stotts hitting well. Obviously, Brandon Marsh had a pretty solid second half last year. He's also and, a decent start. And all of that considered. Kevin Long can't do anything to help Christian Pache. Oh, no. Well, that poor kid. Let me that just say something. Can I just tell this story real quick? I don't know because we still have to talk about the Braves and the All right, Mets. Just and I know quick. how passionate this, we are about the Mets. So. This poor kid who clearly, like everyone knows, he, he he can't hit offensively. That's why he gets traded from Atlanta. That's why he, he gets doesn't he's out of options. He doesn't make the club in Oakland. So the Phillies need the, the right-handed outfield depth. They make the trade for him, and of course, he starts on Sunday Night Baseball on national TV. He hasn't had a day to work with Kevin Long. He now plays in a city where everyone overreacts. They're about in panic mode. He gets three at-bats. All three at-bats last night come with two outs and runners on first and second. He goes, pitch clock violation because he takes too long to get to the plate. First pitch he sees, double play. Next at-bat, three pitches, three strikes all looked at for a strikeout. Third at-bat, first pitch, pop-up foul territory to, to... to first base and I just my heart broke for him because it's like he's got no shot to to make it in this city with the fans I mean I'm sure if I had tuned into WIP today which I never do they probably were like he there's no reason he should be in the lineup for the rest of the season and I mean I just can't wait for the fire Rob Thompson to come that I'm just it's gonna be fun that'll Um, be the most exciting thing about this year at this rate Friend of the podcast, uh, listener, um, shot me a text, Philly fan, um, as rational as all Philly fans are, texted me after at bat two and said, what do you think of Christian Pache? And I said, he can't hit worth a lick, but he plays great defense, so at least bring some value. And he said, I knew he was a top prospect, but didn't realize he sucked this bad after two (laughs) at bats. And that's what I mean. The kid's got no shot. Real quick update on the Marlins. Three second basemen all just went out, out for a pop-up in shallow center field and, and not one second baseman could catch it. Maybe if the other two were on the field, they would have corralled. <laughs> Maybe you need five to catch up those no-man land pop-ups. In my oh, my goodness. They're down 10-1 to our twins, but they got a position player pitching. It's going well in Miami as, as much as it's going well in Philly. Let's talk about the Mets. Yeah, we'll talk about the Mets. I mean, we're going to give – like this is so interesting because, I mean, I look back at how we kind of structured our podcast last year. We spent a lot of time talking about the Mets. We spent a lot of time talking about the Phillies. More from player development side, obviously, we gave the Mets the flowers um, you know, throughout the year when they were winning – when they took down the Braves and everything like that. And you know, We did sit here and guarantee that the Braves were going to win the division. <laughs> yes, we did. Yes, we did. And we were right. Uh, but <laughs> – you know, so I don't want to go too depth in depth on their roster. I feel like because I just feel like we've talked about them so much, and I feel like the same thing with the Phillies. And we gave the Phillies so much flowers because of you know Kevin Long and our love with Kevin Long. And 
you know, but when, when you look at this Mets roster, like the only thing that excites me is Kode Senga. Max Scherzer's Max Scherzer. He's he very well. If he gives you 30 starts, he could be walking away with the Cy Young, even at the age that he is. But is he going to give you 30 starts? They have a lot of money tied up in aging pieces. Again, Tyler McGill, he excites me a little bit. So, you know, there are some pieces to get excited about. But, you know, let's kind of view this big picture, New York Mets. Is this a lineup that is capable to perform at the level that the fans expect? And is that almost just a destiny for disappointment? The, this lineup had a ton of batted ball luck last year, and we've talked about that, and that's why we were giving them their flowers but doing it with caution last year is because of the, the amount of batted ball luck they have. Typically in Major League Baseball, it's rare to see teams have, especially team-wide, batted ball luck year over year with consistency. They need Francisco Lindor to be the Francisco Lindor they thought they traded for. Because he plays in New York, everyone gave him a lot more credit for the year he had last year. He had a good year, but for the expectations of how their lineup's constructed, and I will die on this hill, and I've, I've already I've argued this multiple times since the year ended, Francisco Lindor did not have the year, the way they construct that lineup, with Lindor and Alonso having to carry so much of the slug, he didn't have a good enough year. For them to then make a run in the playoffs, he didn't. Like he 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 needs to be better. That's not Francisco Lindor's fault. That's a lineup construction fault. Like I don't like the way their lineups constructed. They're banking on a lot of aging players. You look at like Starling Marte is not on the peak of his career. He's he's going to start to decline, especially when you're talking about a guy who's that age who plays the game the way he does. He relies on his legs. He hits the ball really hard. He doesn't lift it. He's another guy who couldn't doesn't lift it enough. Um, I don't think they can. And like you said, the concerns in the starting pitching, you know, Diaz is gone. That takes away a piece from their bullpen. A bullpen I didn't much like outside of Diaz. Their starting rotation. Verlander's already on the IL. Like that's your worst fear coming true already. He's gonna miss supposedly two starts, but you never know. That's a lingering issue. Scherzer, if he's healthy, he's very good. He's not as dominant as he once was, but, it, I mean, he was on another level, so it's still one of the best arms in the game, When even though he's not what he once was. This is still going to be a good team because they still have enough pitching. They still have enough. I think they'll do enough offensively. They have a good manager to manage that offense. Like, one of the best things they did, like Buck Showalter – that's his kind of lineup, man. Like that is like Buck Showalter's dream lineup. Pete Alonso is one of the best power hitters in the game. He's going to give you 40 homers. If he gets hurt, they're really, really in trouble. But if Lindor can give you what he gave you last year and Alonso does that, I don't expect them to win 100 games. I still think they're probably the second. Again, I still think this is the second best team in the division. They'll pitch it enough. Sanga's promising. I have a question for you, though, because this is interesting, something we talk about with draft guys. And this is something to keep an eye on. And I just want to get out ahead of it because that's what we do um, as podcasters is we try and get out ahead of, of trends that we notice. All eight of Senga's strikeouts in his debut came on splitters that weren't in the strike zone. Do you see a scenario in which people have seen him a couple of times and can start to recognize it a little bit and he doesn't get those chases as much? 
to have all eight of your strikeouts and none of them come on pitches in the zone, right? We talk about that with college guys. Like, there's something there. Now, that pitch may be just that good. Or what I think is more likely to happen, he's getting punch outs on fastballs in the zone. He starts getting punch outs on other stuff in the zone. But it was just interesting to me in his debut, he walks three, he gets eight strikeouts. All eight of those strikeouts come on the the fork ball that's down and out of the zone. I I will say if you told me it was a banger 12-6, I'd be worried. Right. A split finger? Not. No, right now, no. Um, Kevin Gaussman throws his splitter in the strike zone maybe once every five times, probably at 20%. Sure, but how many punch-outs um, does Gaussman get on the fastball? A lot. Well, yes, exactly. So what? how does Sanga adjust? And his fastball, I don't know, analytically speaking, velocity-wise, is enough to it's, sneak up on guys. Sure. Um, it's good enough. Um, I don't know what else he has in that arsenal as well on top of that. But we've seen pitchers that are able to effectively throw a split finger off of their fastball and it plays. So I wouldn't be concerned if it was, if it wasn't a split finger fork ball. Ghost if this machine. happens for, if this happens for, let's say he makes it through the rotation five times and 92% of his strikeouts are on pitches out of the zone. I would be less worried because because of they'll the type adjust of pitch. next. They will adjust like next his year. next outing. No, his next, next outing out. will you know be, if if the yeah. approach is adjusted. These guys are so good. These guys are so good at making. It also depends a little that, bit on who it comes. Well, I don't know if it's next outing. I mean, you're seeing remember, a guy for the first time. The, you see a lot the of contact. Uh, uh, well, first stop Marlins. it. They strike out. I'm a talking ton. about elim- eliminating the split finger. Like, yeah, but I'm saying like when you see a guy for the first there. time, it's not as easy to eliminate a pitch when you don't like that's the first time you like you can watch it on video all you want until you get in the box and see that split right like for the first time it's like oh just because it is really good it's an elite wise. pitch I just more want game more game plan wise, plan yeah, wise. Yeah, yeah. like hitters are going to come in with a better game plan against so you're saying there's a little concern expand. if he strikes out two both on the fork next start there's a little more concern yeah if you start to see those numbers trend down. Because it is a hard pitch. To Unfortunately, his next in. start's going to come against. Well, that's his fortunate. So the Marlins are. I think his second start's going to come on Saturday against the Marlins. So we'll yeah, see. So we'll see. We'll Here's see. my. If I had to just to, I just wanted to get ahead on that. I just. I let me just say real quick. If I was a betting man, I think his stuff is good enough. He's going to get strikeouts in the zone too. I think he's going to be. I think he's. <laughs> I think he's. Really I think good. he's a really good pitcher. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And and he excites me. And you know, again, I I want to dedicate a whole podcast to this maybe we'll we'll give our relievers some love it's something that i've mentioned and teased on the podcast a couple times but relievers are replaceable bullpens are important the new york mets want to talk about themselves and their fans like to talk about themselves as a player development run organization we're going to go out we're going to spend money we're going to fill from within you want to show your chops Go take one of your no-name prospects. I mean, look at Brito from the Yankees coming up and spot starting early in the year and throwing a disgusting changeup and being gross. Do that. Do that, New York. We need somebody. They don't have to pitch the ninth inning. You have David Robertson who's pitched in New York. You have guys like that that can handle the ninth inning for the time being. Adam Adovino's pitched high leverage in New York. 
There's definitely some talent there to fill the ninth inning, but you need a no-name Felix Batista to come out of nowhere and pitch high-leverage innings for you and surprise some people because if you really pride yourself on being a player development and run organization who's able to develop the pitchers with the even quite frankly we're not even have to talk about the Tampa Bay Rays and the Milwaukee Brewers we're talking about the New York Yankees you want to be talked about in that light because they're better they're one of the best in the business at developing arms and, and having bullpen arms that come out of nowhere go find a guy to replace Edwin Diaz not through a trade not through anything develop a guy in-house and see what they're able to bring but you know obviously this team you know, it's, you're right. It's a good team. I would like to see Brett Beatty come up and see what kind of impact yes. he can make. Um, if he's the power bat that they're missing, Francisco Alvarez could be the power bat that they're missing. They have guys knocking on the door. There's no doubt about it. Vogelbach has his role. He has his role. He's nothing more than that. He has a role. He's with not a team. good player. But when you look at this lineup, we've talked about this. Yes. In a fantasy baseball world, he's not a good player. But he can slug 450 with a 230 average. And that has value. At the end of the day, that's an everyday player. He's never done He doesn't have to be. He shouldn't be an everyday player. But my point is, is those guys that are able to challenge the fence and change the game with one swing of the bat, they have value in the seven or eight hole. What's wrong with their lineup is that he's. He taken on too much of a burden. Right. He shouldn't be he shouldn't be a focal point. That's my lineup. issue with it, I think. Which if Francisco Alvarez and Brett Beatty are the guys that they can be, then you don't even need Lindor to do any more than the eight hundred OPS he was last year. Alonzo's obviously what he is. Then you start to sprinkle in Nimmo, McNeil, Marte, and then Vogelbach. Yeah. Right, because Vogelbach's if only slugged and- over four hundred twice. In nineteen and, that, and in twenty two, so it's to me, it's just like, yeah, you need him in a platoon situation. He he takes too many at bats to slug over four hundred sometimes. Um, if, you know what I'm saying? Like he's yeah. he's relied on too much. Like he needs to be in a limited role, um, to kind of give you that. But um, that's if Alvarez and Beatty hit their ceiling. And that's far from a guarantee. So um, let's get into the last team, the favorite in the NL, um, the arguably the best team in the NL, uh, best roster, you know, because everybody talks about the Mets and the Phillies. I was surprised, I think, from the everyday conversational baseball people, the Braves aren't the best team in the NL. But from like MLB.com's power rankings, from analyst across the country from all the people that cover baseball at a high level it's runaway unanimous atlanta braves are the best team in the nl i don't really know how much we want to get into their roster as i kind of said like we give so much time to these teams because they play in our time zone they obviously have a lot of talent we give them a lot of flowers for everything that they do um but i mean this team as it's constructed right now shortstop's the only pressing need where they can find that, where they can – is that Vaughn Grissom? Is that Arcia all year? I mean, he could hit ninth and bring value. I don't know which direction they go, um, but as it stands right now, like this is a World Series caliber team today, and I think that's pretty much all we have to say about them. To me, this is head and, This is the best team in the NL. You can argue Dodgers. I know a lot of people are high on the Padres. This is the best team in the NL. I think they're the second best team in baseball, if not better than the Astros. They're up there with the Astros to me. Like when I think of the two best teams in baseball, like, you know, 
there's there, who are, who's the group of best teams in baseball? To me, it's the Dodgers, the Braves, the Rays, and the Astros right now. Just looking at how their rosters are constructed and what they can do. The pitching depth that Atlanta could have, especially if Mike Soroka comes back healthy. Like, and again, the, it's funny because it's I don't understand sometimes how we value or evaluate as, as like a media base and as fans different guys. Max Fried's one of the best pitchers in baseball. Make no mistake about it. Max Fried is one of the best pitchers in baseball. He's put it together for multiple years now. It's time to start looking at him that way. They have depth in the rotation if guys go down because like we said, you know, like I said uh, yesterday, no one's ever going to make it through a season using five starting pitchers. Spencer Strider exploded onto the scene last year. If he takes any type of step forward, he's right there in the Cy Young conversation is another one of the best pitchers in baseball. So you have two of those. You have one of the most dynamic lineups in baseball, one of the most athletic lineups in baseball. To your point, is the answer at short Arcia? Is it Vaughn Grissom? Is it Braden Shoemake? Is it guy we go get at the deadline? I trust Alex Anthropolis because of the track record of what he's done. There's a reason they didn't re-sign Dansby Swanson. They have a plan there. They didn't go get one of the big shortstops. They like to pay their guys. I, I mean, Matt Olson at first base, He's he had an unbelievable spring. I can't wait to see what he does during the year. Acuna is now a year removed from the ACL. He already has two homers on the year. That's huge to be a hit year removed from the ACL. Ozzie Albies let him get healthy and stay healthy. He hit a home run today. Austin Riley is an MVP he waiting to happen. He hit a 473-foot home run today. Like, look, like this this team is really really good, and then they do stuff on the edges of the roster. Like if Eddie Rosario is healthy and can see this year, because seeing helps. What about Sam Hilliard? Like Sam Hilliard is a guy who I liked in in Colorado. He's a guy who like now he's on the edge of a roster. He's a, a fringe guy. He's a guy who gets part time at bats. You want to talk about a guy like Daniel Vogelbach? I'd rather have Sam Hilliard doing it. True. Then I haven't even talked about maybe their biggest strength since they traded for Sean Murphy. They have two all-star caliber catchers. This team doesn't have a hole right now. Because defensively at shortstop, they're going to be able to pick the baseball. They might not get the offense Dansby gave you last year. That's fine with the rest of this lineup. This This team's the best team in the NL, in my opinion. They're probably the second best team in baseball, in my opinion. Yeah, I think second best. I think they end up running away with the division this year, actually. Uh, Yeah, I mean, looking at it, I think, like, just especially because we talk about the World Series hangover with the Phillies playing that deep. The Braves still won 106 games last year with the World Series. Well, there was. That's the scariest part. I guess they start didn't the year. Come out the, start yeah, the year. They yeah, they out came the out the gate great. terrible, and then they just, they were, I mean, they were unbelievable. And, like, were they really that dominant? In the second half, no, they were just that just good. Like good. it was like when the Dodgers were winning, like they would just be like thirty and eleven at a blank. Like that's what the Braves were. Like it was just like two out of three, two out of three, three out of sweep, four, two sweep out of three, a bad team, sweep one, two out of and three, then they two and out then three. and then they just got jumped in Philly, like in a short series they got jumped in Philadelphia, and they were right? they tired. they dropped game one with some like just some some weird and they're probably tired from the year before you play six months after going that long. Then they go to Philly and that place was a zoo and they got jumped. 
And that can yeah. happen. Like that's why we talk about there's a difference between a team that's built for 162 and a team that's built for the postseason. Yeah. And look at the Yankees the they, last several years. They also add names like Kirby Yates on the edges of their roster. <laughs> Nick Anderson. Kirby Yates has yeah, Kirby Yates has pitched big innings. How about Nick Anderson He's in the year the Rays went yeah. to the World Series? Yeah. I mean, and then the pitching depth they have. Ian Anderson two years ago was a rookie of the year. Bryce Elder. I Dylan Dodd had has Dylan really Dodd. good minor league statistics. Like really good. it's just like you're right. I, I think it's so funny because like could you imagine and this is what I'll I'll leave our listeners with for could you imagine if the New York Mets lost Dansby Swanson and didn't go get a shortstop? Oh, no. Like just They'd how we would react the stadium. to that. Well, just in general, like how we would react, how the media would react, how everybody would react to that is like, we don't have faith to trust you. When teams like the Braves do it, when teams like the Guardians do it, when teams like the Tampa Bay Rays do it, when teams like the Dodgers do it, when teams like the Astros do it, that tier amongst themselves, in my mind, and really of anybody who... I hate to use the word educated, but really kind of looks at the inner workings of front offices. It's so easy to go, you know, I don't know what they're doing, but I trust Alex Anthopoulos. Correct. <laughs> Correct. And and just leave it at that. Like it, it, it doesn't matter. Sense. Well, it doesn't it's funny. Sense. And like I saw a ton on social media in the spring training, Braves fans getting upset. And a lot of beat writers would respond to the fan and be like, you don't trust AA, <laughs> like yeah. They know point, like a guy like this guy hasn't earned your trust, which made me laugh because as an outsider who's not a fan, like I don't know how I'd be feeling if I was a Braves fan about their shortstop situation. Well, but like as an outsider, I'm like, you guys are worried about this. I'm not. Let me look who, look yeah. Who let me compare who's running the show. <laughs> let me compare it to something that'll hit home to you. Like as an Eagles fan, like whatever they do, I'm, I would just be like. Oh, okay. Correct. And that's how I do it. And, <laughs> and even like, on and on a different front, it's like, why is Stetson – and these are the same fans, and I can relate on their level because I'm a Georgia fan, that like these are the same people who were getting mad when Stetson Bennett was running out there. And I was just like, yeah, but Kirby Smart's the head coach. Like yeah. obviously Stetson Bennett's the guy. He wins two national championships, right? Like everybody wanted JT Daniels when he was healthy to play in that 21 season. And Stetson kept starting. And it was just like, well, yeah. And to me, it was just sitting back like, well, Kirby Smart knows what he's doing. I'm pretty sure like – yeah, it's, everybody knows, and and um, this is probably just a, a quick tidbit before we get off here. But um, they mentioned this on the uh, Sunday night baseball broadcast. This is probably a conversation for another day. But Will Smith was excited to play for Bruce Bochy in Texas um, because he wanted to be playing for an old school hard nosed manager. And that made me chuckle because I was in the back of my oh, head. Eight? I said, "Is he taking a shot at Snit?" Because in my opinion, like Brian Snitker is one of the best managers in baseball. And I think he's one of the best managers in baseball because look at how he lets those guys go. Like we talked about what do the White Sox need to do? Why was Larusa not a good fit for them? Because let those horses run. What does Snit do, man? Austin Riley, go be you. Ronnie, go be you. Of course, Will Smith. God, get out of here. Like, it, just made, it just made me laugh. It was like, because you I, won a he World could, Series now with he, that Right. Team. And but team, players seem to always do that. I remember... Jonathan Papelbon did that after he left Boston. Like, I don't know why people yeah, do that. It's and, weird. I don't know if it's like yeah. a, a scorn thing, but and 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 I could be taking the quote out of context. He didn't personally say no, Brian who Snicker told, wasn't. Who said it? Who said it? A Rod getting his rocks off on his little own like little. No, Buster only there. was doing a report on Will Smith, and it was a quote. He said 
Will Smith was said that he was excited to like that's all he said was Will Smith said he was excited to play for a to come to play for Bruce Bochy because he's a hard nosed old school manager. Again, he could have just been like, hey, it could have been in the context of why did you choose Texas? And he could have just given yeah. that as the reason. I don't know if it was a yeah. shot at Snit. But in the back of my head, I was like, did he, is he taking a shot at Snit? ESPN knows that it it sounds like a shot at Snit. It, it sounds like an old man yells at. I could at, be eating the cheese. <clears throat> I could be. Ozzy out. Like it, Will Smith takes me as the guy. He's the same guy that stared down Juan Soto for taking practice hacks, and then Juan Soto takes him deep every time. And then he gets all pissy when Juan Soto does his little shimmy around the bases. Like, just get him out, dude. Just get him out. And you you still throw fit every time. So I'm just not surprised that it, he probably didn't like the way Ozzy Albies and Ronald Acuna smiled when they played baseball. Like, sorry, Will Smith, suck it up. Yes, Bruce Bochy's great. Like, I love Bruce Bochy. The Texas Rangers look great. He looks like he's doing a great job. He's piecing together that bullpen. You know he's going to make the right decision. You know he's going to have those boys ready to play. Everything. Yes, 100%. Bruce Bochy deserves all the flowers in the world. But get out of here, Will Smith. Get out of here. Stop. Stop. <laughs> I, I, no, I, I know. No I knew you thought about Brian Snicker the way that I Juan did. Soto. That's why I mentioned it. Yeah, I mean, no, I just, Brian like, Snicker is one of the best managers in baseball. Like again, like trust. Yeah. Like the reason that you not we're not worried about the Brave shortstop situation is because of Brian Snicker and Alex Anthropolis. Like if there's two people who are going to figure it out, it's them. Mm, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, that, that'll be all for, for this episode. Obviously, we have a huge week for people that usually tune in on Wednesday for our college baseball updated episodes. We're going to figure out a way to bridge that in in some capacity this year or this week. Sorry, not this year. Um, because obviously opening day, exciting. We're super excited, but Dan and I are going to be boots on the ground at South Carolina and Columbia uh, for LSU, South Carolina. A lot of fun. Really excited to get to watch Paul Skeens pitch live, get to watch Dylan Cruz play, get to watch South Carolina just show up. I mean, they, they're just an awesome offense, awesome group of guys that uh, head out there and play every day. So just going to be a super fun weekend. So whether we are doing a podcast posted early next week about of our experiences, whether we do a little preview of our weekend, how what we're excited about, whether we just kind of stick to the MLB for this week and maybe double up on some college stuff next week. We're definitely going to figure that out. We're working on getting on a time where Colin's schedule lines up with us. He is in Las Vegas in AAA. I don't think we gave him his credit uh, for getting AAA non. Uh, so Colin, is, he was actually the opening day starter for the – Las Vegas Aces. Aviators. 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 Reno Aces. Yeah. Las Vegas Aviators. They yep. played the Reno Aces. Yes. So, Which is weird. Um, Wouldn't you think it would super be excited. reversed? Yes. But Reno does have a lot of casinos. I don't know. Maybe we'll find out when we're traveling the PCL um, with Colin. Stay tuned. As fangirls. Stay tuned. Share with five friends. Maybe it could happen. Um, but – We'll get him back on here. We want to talk about minor league pay structure, obviously how that impacts him, uh, his future, everything from that, which is just phenomenal, awesome that they finally took the bull by the horns and, and got that the minor leaguers unionized and some some benefits there. Um, but we're working on getting him back on here. He's got a busy change of schedule. So Dan and, and I are taking the load right now. Tough. And the time difference. He's out west. So 
We're going to have to find a time when he's off and we can line this up, but just know Colin did not fall off the face of the earth. He's just a professional baseball player, unlike Dan and I, <laughs> who work our regular nine to five jobs and talk about professional baseball. So it's a big, big difference there. But other than that, Dan, you have any closing thoughts? Yeah, if anyone knows like the opposite of a rain dance to make it not rain, uh, DM us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, whatever. YouTube comments, let let me know so that I can do it because the weather doesn't look good in Columbia right now. And even more important, if anybody knows how to get a press pass, if anybody knows an SID at, at uh, the University South of South Carolina, Carolina that would yeah. be huge. Um, we'll, we'll definitely link that up. We would be providing some quality video and takes on Paul Skeens from behind home plate. If anybody can hook that up, let us know. If you got some connections out there, we know you'll provide. But until next time, we'll see you guys on the next podcast.